Good morning. <laughs> For those of you who don't me, I'm Colton. I'm the youth pastor here. I'm still pretty new. But if you'll open your Bibles and turn with me to John 13. We're reading verses 34 and 35. And our topic today is, is we're talking about loving one another. So, so let's read this scripture here. John 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Today, the proposition of the sermon is basically this. Our love for one another proclaims the love of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to the watching world. So let's just, let's bow our heads and pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that your love, God, is proclaimed when we love one another. God, that the love of the Father and the Son speaks to us. God, I pray today for everyone here. God, that your spirit would move and convict. God, that through my words, Lord, that you would keep me from saying anything that might lead these, your children, astray. My God, that by your spirit you would speak. We pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to start off with kind of a negative story, an anti-model. <laughs> a few years ago, I was in university and I was home one weekend visiting my mom and dad. And while we were visiting, my dad had decided we would go visit a friend of his that he wanted to go and see, and this friend had a caretaker. The caretaker's name was Russell. Now, Russell, this particular day, needed a drive to another city. It just so happened that that city was also the city that I was going to be heading back later that evening to go to school. Russell was going to take the bus, and it was a rainy day. He would have to get there at a certain time by spending most of the day on the bus, trying to get done what he could for the day, walking in through the rain. Now, I knew I was going there that day, the same city, but I wanted to be leaving not by the time, I wanted to be leaving long after Russell needed to be arriving there. And so although I knew Russell needed to drive, and I saw the opportunity to show love to Russell, even though I loved Russell, I kept quiet. I kept silently to myself. And in my own selfishness, decided instead of offering him a ride, I would just stay on my own, visit with my family like I wanted to. And Russell just had to walk in the rain to where he needed to go. Now, this is kind of the anti-example of how our love for one another, we're given opportunities to show it, and sometimes we ignore it out of our own selfishness. But Jesus gives us another example. Today we find ourselves in John 13. Jesus is fast approaching arrest and crucifixion. So what Jesus says in John 13 is something we need to listen to. What is Jesus going to say? His arrest is coming up. He's about to be done with his time with the disciples. This is like game seven of a championship. Jesus is with his team, and he's got to tell them something that's going to hold them together when the going gets tough. Jesus starts out on his knees. He washes their feet. 
In John 13, Jesus is recorded as saying that the greatest in the kingdom is the least. It's the one who serves. And he says this as he washes their feet. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So Jesus in this moment, this is known as kind of the farewell discourse. He's about to leave is relaying to them very, very important things. Things of utmost importance. And he's doing this even in the midst of things going on around him, like Judas is about to betray him. He's about to really come face to face with people who want him dead. He's still teaching these things. He says, this is what's most important. He says, my children, I will be with you a little longer. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, our love for one another is going to play its, itself out before the watching world. You know, this is the only command that Jesus actually gives his disciples as a specific command. Jesus is leaving. People aren't going to know who his disciples are by just walking, seeing him walking around with them. They're going to know them by their love. Just like we know Girl Scout or Girl Guides by their cookies, or a cowboy by his hat. Disciples of Jesus are known by their love. You're going to know whose you are and who you are by their love. So follow this new command, Jesus is saying. But what's so new about this command? Back in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 19, verse 18, any Jewish reader would know that They've already been told, love your neighbor as yourself. This isn't really new. In fact, in Matthew 22, Jesus himself says, hey, the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, Jesus, what's so new about this? What is so new about loving one another? What's new is the standard of love that Jesus is going to give. Love one another as I have loved you. The disciples are going to find out soon enough that this is more than just Jesus being with them. It actually, for Jesus, meant giving up his life for them. He loved his disciples so much that he would die on the cross so that their sins could be forgiven. Yeah, the sins of the whole world. John the Elder puts it this way, puts love, he says that love is the very love of God. He says this in 1 John 4, 9-11, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, love finds its root in Christ. Later on in that discourse, Jesus reiterates this again. This is the kind of love that would lay down its life for his friends. He says this in John 15, as Jacob read earlier this morning. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, this command, 
that God gave to Moses in Leviticus is deeply beautiful. Jesus deepened and transforms the law and his commands. The way to love is found in Christ. It's rooted only in the sacrifice that Jesus gave. Because love is rooted in Christ, it serves. Like the example of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. This is the kind of love that's willing to get down in the muck and the grime. This is the kind of love that's willing to lay down your life for someone. This is the kind of love we read about in the Bible time and time again, where you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others, says in that in Philippians 2. This is the kind of love that forgives, as Dr. Del Bigio spoke about a few weeks ago. Honors one another. Accepts one another. This is the root of the one another's we've been talking about this summer. It's love. And this is our starting point. John the Elder kind of shows that this is love's defining moment. And this is the chief example that we're supposed to follow. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. See, this isn't quite the same kind of love we often talk about and hear about. This isn't run-of-the-mill kind of love that we hear about in Hollywood movies and watch or often sometimes that we, we interact with. This is, goes far beyond our natural way of loving. This is agape love. The word agape love Jesus uses when he describes a kind of love that is never-ending, never going to give up. It's different than even phileo, which is the word for brotherly love. This is the kind of love, agape love, that identifies the Christian. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous theologian and martyr from Germany, writes in his books, Life Together, and he talks of love in terms of human love and spiritual love. Human love, he said, is often directed at another person for one's own sake. But spiritual love loves the other person for Christ's sake. See, human love also many times desires the person, the company, and answering love. But it doesn't often serve quite in the same way as spiritual love does. Yeah, human love has the mark of the creator. Many parents would give up their lives for their own children. And some for a family friend or someone who is like as close to them as a brother or sister. See, we're image bearers of this love. But for Christians... The aspect of spiritual love is not that it's something that's kind of unexpected or, wow, this is wild. This is the new normal for Christians. When we see and hear of this kind of love, it should be like the new normal. Not just something we often hear about in military circles or in just families. This is how we're supposed to love one another. Spiritual love comes from Jesus because it looks at Jesus, not the other person primarily. It can serve. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians, in the book he writes to the 1 Corinthians, gives us a pretty helpful definition of love that kind of brings unity. Love that doing life together and learning to live in love like Jesus. We've been talking about this summer. What this consists of. So let's turn to it. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll read verses 4 to 7. Paul starts off by saying, If I give away all, my, all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul's emphasizing the importance of love. Otherwise, it's like a human love. We have a love that comes from the Holy Spirit, and this is how we would describe it. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. Love rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. See, this is the kind of love that's not just between God and us. It's not just the love that God has for us. This is actually the kind of love that we are expected as believers to love one another with. This is the never-ending kind of love that we get when we receive the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of love that regardless of the feelings will serve. Spiritual love. You know, we hear this verse all the time at weddings. And yes, it's for husbands and wives. But it's not just for that kind of a relationship. It's also for the relationship that we have with one another. We can love one another like that. In fact, we're expected to. And we can do that because God first loved us, like it says in 1 John 4.19. Because God first loved us, we can love others. Do we know a love like this? Do we envision love like this for one another? We can look to Jesus and know and, and love like this because of what he's done. I have a friend named Kevin. One of my best friends from back in Alabama. And he exemplified in a lot of ways this kind of love, not only to me, but also to other people. Kevin was the kind of guy, I have a, I have a favorite country song by Tracy Lawrence. It's called, You Find Out Who Your Friends Are. You guys ever heard of that? I'm a big country music fan. One of the lines in that song, he says, you find out who your friends are, somebody's going to drop everything, run out, crank up their car, hit the gas, get to where you need to get fast, and not stop and think what's in it for me. Kevin's that kind of guy. When I was preparing for my wedding, he drove me an hour away, just so I could have time to prepare. He just dropped what he had, drove me there, drove me back so that I could prepare while we were driving and I could still get to where I needed to be. And he's done that before when it's come to moving. And I know Kevin loves like this with other people because I've seen him do the same kind of moving and taking people where they need to go. He gives of his time and his money, and I know that's because he knows who he is, whose he is. He knows that Jesus died for him. And so he loves people just like that. So how does living our lives with this 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, how does that proclaim the love of God? First, I think we're actually proclaiming the love of God when we love one another. You know, this isn't like a, this is an everyday thing. It's not just a Sunday thing where we come and meet together. Yeah, we proclaim the love of God when we meet together here. We're given the opportunity to share, to speak into each other's lives, to love one another. But this happens every day where we give of our time, meet with one another, encourage one another. We proclaim the love of God when we love one another. This is the kind of love that says, I love you, and it speaks in word and deed. There's also another way we proclaim the love of God to the watching world, and that's in how we deal with arguments or disputes. See, we know that when you, when you live with people, you have arguments and disputes. Every family has that in their family. They have arguments and disputes. Well, the family of God is no exception. We have arguments and disputes together. But we mirror the reconciliation. We mirror the love of God to each other when we are reconciled, made right with each other, 
See, just as Jesus came to die on the cross so that we could be made right with God, we mirror that when we are being made right with one another. You see, God sent his son, even while we were still enemies. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. The offended party, dying for the offender. And so just as the father loved us so much by sending his son to die on the cross so that we might be reconciled, made right with God, we're supposed to reconcile with each other. Craig Keener, a New Testament scholar, he says that reconciliation within the Christian community is essential to its identity as a Christian community. Without the evidence of reconciliation, we are failing to show the character of Jesus. The world can't see the character of Jesus without reconciliation. And we really can't do this apart from God's love. Some of you may have heard of a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian who often hid um, Jews in her house. And she was caught. At a certain point, she was taken with, along with her family to a Nazi concentration camp in Ravensbrück for girls. While she was there, she underwent horrible atrocities committed by the guards there. And her sister died there. And she, she was eventually let go and let free. Now, Corey had to cope with this reality. How could she forgive the Nazis who had done this to her? How could she forgive former cruel prison guards? Corey was speaking one time in Munich, and after her message, a prison guard walked up, walked up to her. She recognized this prison guard. She remembered him being very cruel. He didn't quite recognize her. But this is what the prison guard said. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. I was a guard there. Since that time, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me. But I want to hear it from your lips as well. I know he's forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. Pauline, will you forgive me? And he stretched out his hand. Everything in Cory Ten Boom said, oh, I do not want to forgive this guy. I rem she remembered the horrible atrocities. Her sister had died at the hands of the guards, just like this man. After what seemed like forever with her, wrestling whether she should forgive him, she decided that, yes, because Christ had forgiven her, she should also forgive him. And she said that she reached down her hand, and when she touched his hand, she said that she felt a healing warmth that seemed to flood her whole being, bringing tears to her eyes. And she said this, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart, as she cried. Later, Cory Tamboob said this, I realized that it was not my love. I tried, but I did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Dave, in his message a few weeks ago on the Trinity, said, loved people, love people. Forgiven people, forgive. And that's what we're supposed to be like. As Christians, we are called to, even in the hardest of situations, show love for one another by forgiving one another. The Apostle Paul in Romans 13, he says this, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. See, that's the one thing that we owe each other. No matter what the other person has done. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. And that's what we owe each other. That's the mark of a Christian. We are 
identified not by our hats or cookies. It's by our love for one another. And our love for one another proclaims the love of God. You see, when we love each other, we're proclaiming the love of God, the Father and the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In many ways, we're kind of the middle link of a chain here. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, us, his disciples, and the world. But we're actually called to show the unity that the Father and the Son share. And if we're not unified in love, we're not showing this unity. This unity that the Father and the Son, that God and Jesus share, is what caused them to come down out of love, to die. It's what caused God to send his Son to die on the cross for us. John's Gospel really grabs a hold of this. If we're not unified in love, we're failing and struggling to show the world Jesus. See, our mission as disciples is to show the world the Father and the Son, to proclaim the Trinity to the whole world. And it's going to fail if we're not unified in loving one another. So, do you feel as though you're unified in love? This is a challenge for you with the body of Christ. When we meet together, this is one of the ways that we can work these things out. Have you forgiven other brothers and sisters, other people you need to forgive? Do we show this unity here? A pastor in Minneapolis named Jonathan Parnell said this, A church that is missional and wants to make Jesus known in their community must be a church that loves one another. And a church that is intentional about loving one another can't help but be a church that makes Jesus known. That's the way it works. See, as we love one another, we make Jesus known. We make God's love known to the watching world. You know, this happens in more than one way. Yeah, it happens when we meet together and we love each other and we forgive each other. It happens when we invite other people into our community. But we're also called to go. We're also called, like the Father sent the Son into the world to save it, we're also called to go on a mission, to proclaim to the world the love of the triune God. This is the same kind of agape love that God showed. We are called to show that. It should be so much characteristic of it that it just spills out into the rest of the world. Jesus, in Matthew 5, 43-45, uses the same word, agape, to describe how we love our enemies. He says this, You have heard that, that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love, and he uses the same word, agape, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Agape love is what characterizes us as children of God. Just as our Father in heaven loved us, even while we were still enemies, we are called to show that same kind of love, yes to one another, and to those who we even see as our enemies. We are proclaiming, when we love one another, we are proclaiming the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to the watching world. Let me ask you these questions. Does your love for one another reflect Christ's love? You know, would you willingly lay down your life for one another? Your interests for others? Is your life characterized by how you love or simply by what you don't do? Jesus doesn't say you will be known by what you don't 
do or what your faith in. It says you'll be known by your love. And just a reminder of God's love for you, sending Christ to die for you. Does that hit you in a way that makes you want to love others more? Or is it something that you just kind of hear and believe, but brush it off? You know, I know that many times some of us, we do struggle with brushing it off. I've done it before in that story with Russell. I brushed it off. Even though I had been loved so much by God, I didn't show love when I could have and should have. I want to end with a, a positive story of someone who showed love for others. Yeah, even people he didn't know. My wife, Meredith, went to a Christian camp growing up called Kanaka Camps. And they were taught there the saying, I'm third. God first, others second, I'm third. There was a camper years ago there who carried a card just like this one here. His name was Johnny Ferry. And here's a story of how he lived out, I'm third. It was after nine in the morning, June 7th, 1958. The Air National Guard Jet Precision Team the Minutemen were flying at Wright-Patterson Air Base outside of Dayton, Ohio. For the Minutemen, this is just another show. The skies were clear, the morning air was smooth, and thousands of viewers were standing out to watch their air show. Former Kanakuk camper, Captain John Ferrier, flew an F-86 for this Denver-based jet team. After a routine maneuver where he and his team would do a flare to leave, by blipping smoke in the air, John Ferrier's plane was rolling out of control, and he was in trouble. Seeing him headed right for a neighborhood, the neighborhood of Fairborn, Colonel Williams called out over the microphone, Bail out, Johnny! Bail out! Johnny had a lot of time to bail out. There was plenty of time, plenty of room. The colonel said it a few more times, Bail out, Johnny! Bail out! And each time he was answered with just a blip of smoke. See, the colonel understood what was going on. John Ferrier couldn't reach the mic button on the throttle because he had both of his hands tugging on the control stick that was locked full throw right. But the smoke button was on the stick. He was sending out those blip of smoke to say, yeah, he knew he could pull out. But he didn't think he could pull out without crashing his plane into that neighborhood where, of course, many people might die. Instead of bailing out, Captain Ferrier's saber jet hit the ground equidistant from four houses. He was able to land it equidistant in a, in a garden, in a backyard garden, the only place, one of the bystanders said, that he could have possibly landed without killing anybody, except for when he landed it hard, he killed himself. Ferrier, who had an IM third card like this in his wallet, which his wife ended up finding after the accident, with his act of sacrifice here, he showed that he had his priorities. He did this for people he didn't even know. He knew that because God was first, others were second. He was third. Loving one another. He loved his life. He loved not his life unto death. That's often said of a Christian martyr. They loved not their life unto death. They were willing to die Christ and for others. This is the mark of a Christian, not just a martyr, the mark of a Christian. And John Ferrier is one of those people. You know, how much more should that be for us when we 
know one another, we come into contact with each other. We should love one another that way. We're to love one another, to have agape love that doesn't bail out when the going gets tough to save ourselves, but sticks with it even when the going calls on us to give up our whole lives. Let's be like Jesus. Let's be I'm third kind of people. Let's be people who love one another in word and in deed. Who aren't afraid of what kind of self-sacrifice that might entail. Who don't ignore it and brush it off. But instead look to Christ. Look to Jesus Christ and his example and say, he died for me, I'm going to live my life for you. I want to put God first, others second, myself first. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And thank you for your love. God, it's amazing that you love us so much that you would die on the cross for us. God, help us to remember that our love for one another declares your love, the love of God, to the watching world. The world is watching. We thank you for your sacrifice. God, may your spirit be so alive in us, God, that your love may it just awaken us so that we might love just as you have loved us. We pray this in your name. Amen.